All right, everyone, get ready for some intellectual heavy lifting because on this week's Physio Foundations podcast, I'm talking to physiotherapist and powerlifting champion, Chris Seville, about his very interesting clinical career, which combines physiotherapy, strength and conditioning and powerlifting. Welcome back to Physio Foundations for another week where we talk about the knowledge and skills that provide the foundation of expert clinical practice. So on this week's episode, I'm talking to Chris Seville. Chris is a highly experienced physiotherapist with a background in sports and private musculoskeletal physiotherapy. He's the principal practice owner at Healthy Bodies Physiotherapy in Cheltenham, which is in Melbourne's southeast in Australia, of course. And he has a Bachelor of Physiotherapy degree, Bachelor of Biomedical Science degree. Here's the interesting bit. He's got a major in anatomy and exercise, and he's done quite a bit in the strength and conditioning and power lifting area, which we're going to talk about today. Um, I know Chris through Monash Physio. Chris worked with us in Monash University Physiotherapy for a number of years, teaching anatomy and developing curriculum for our third year Bachelor of Physiotherapy students in that final rotation on campus before they go out on placements. And Chris has been involved in research and various publications here at Monash. And in addition to all that, if that isn't enough, he also has a really highly successful clinical career where he's been in private practice for a long time, helping people with injuries, but he's also been the, um, the strength and conditioning or the strength program coordinator at Collingwood Football Club. So this is quite a big Australian Rules Football Club in Australia, and anyone in Australia would know what that is. But if you're an overseas listener, um, that's, I guess it's like saying you've worked in the Premier League in England. And in, if you're living in England, it's a big deal um, in, in our area. So um, Chris has lots of experience from his work there. In addition to his clinical career, um, Chris is also a powerlifting coach and an athlete himself. So he's won multiple championships and he's represented Australia at the World Powerlifting Championships. Very cool. He also holds the, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, the under 83 kilogram Australian squat record. That's Very great. cool. So Chris, welcome to Physio Foundations. You survived your um, bio intro. Thanks very much for having us, Luke. It's, um, it's a pleasure to catch up again. And um, gee, that, that rap sheet makes me, uh, makes me feel tired just listening to it, mate. So um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for the summary there. Oh, it's a, it's a, that's just touching, scratching the surface. Did I miss anything there? Uh, that's that's a good good summary of the of the the key points there. It, it's, Didn't get anything um, wrong. No, no, it's all correct. It's it's good. It's good actually to reflect on it. Um, uh, you know, listening listening to those things, I've got some really um, fond memories of um, working at the uni and um, being involved with the students there, as well as um, at, at the footy club and and now my time here in private practice as well. Um, uh, some really really good times throughout throughout my career. Now we were saying before we press record how many years it's been. So we worked together, I think, 2010 to 2014. So there you go. Yeah. So yep. it's, um, you know, time has passed pretty quickly, 2023. So um, how have you been? What's been really? happening? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, really good. So now since I've worked with you, you've got a young family. I do. Yeah, two, two beautiful young kids. We've got uh, Luke, who um, I, I, can't, I can't lie and say he was named after you, but um, <laughs> and obviously shares your name. I would and, hope not. <laughs> and, uh, and little Paige. Um, so they're, they're both uh, great young kids, uh, you know, trying to get them involved and active as much as we can. So they, they do some gymnastics locally and, uh, and swimming. Uh, oh, good. And I decided to, um, to announce my, my two-year-old daughter is now swimming by herself um, unaided. So she's, um, yeah, she's doing a great little, great job in the pool. Those little milestones are so much fun. They're so good yeah. with kids when oh, they get to that and absolutely. that independence. Absolutely. Um, and, and then, yeah, just trying to, like I was saying, trying to get them as active as we can. We've, we've bought some gymnastics rings for home as well. And uh, of course you have. You're always playing on them and mucking you around. And, They'll be uh, under the bar before we know it. That's well, they're already doing that too, but it's, uh, <laughs> it's exciting to see their little bodies develop and how they pick up skills and how they're keen to learn. It's, it's, it's so much fun. So good. So, well, we know each other really well from teaching. So we've taught together in applied anatomy is the subject. So anatomy applied to humans, human movement and um, human conditions. It's not just the musculoskeletal in the first year. So we taught you know, head and neck, abdo, thorax, everything across the whole body and pelvis. Um, so I want to get into anatomy and in the part two of the conversation, I want to talk specifically about our anatomical interests and special, you know, special interests in that area, but powerlifting, I can't help it. can't help myself. Tell us about powerlifting. First of all, what is it? 
Sure. So, um, Power things a sport uh, it's run in a lot of different countries and and uh, in other countries uh, outside of Australia it's it's a very popular sport in Australia it's it's definitely uh, growing in popularity and it's a discipline where you perform three different lifts a squat a bench press and then a deadlift um, in the in a competition format you get three attempts so you you perform one squat then a few other people have a go and then you perform another one and then a few other people have a go and then you perform another one so. The, the the most the heaviest of your three successful lift of your lifts that's successful gets counted towards your total just just the one heaviest one um, and then you do the same for bench press and the same for deadlift um, and in some competitions there's a prize for the heaviest squat the heaviest bench and the heaviest deadlift and in some competitions uh, it's just a prize for the uh, for the for the total uh, of your um, best squat best bench press and des- best deadlift. Um, and that's you know really what determines whether you're the you're the winner or you know the wow. how the competition works. Yeah. When did you get your squat record? 2011. Um, uh, in order to set the record, you've got to uh, perform that. You've got to perform that squat, but then you've also got to get a successful bench press and a successful deadlift for the squat to count. Okay. Uh, so the funny thing is, I actually broke the record um, prior to setting it in November, but. Um, I was unsuccessful in that competition in posting uh, a successful bench press. I, I'd selected a weight that was uh, too heavy, and, oh, no. uh, and so my my total didn't count, which meant my also my squat didn't count. Didn't get to break the record first time around, so I had to wait another couple of months to to break the record, and and was fortunate at that time to um, to have it count. So um, it, yeah, um, that that was my my funny little story around that. But yeah, November November not funny at the time, but yeah, not funny at the time. That's right. That's right. Are you still lifting? You're still training. You're fit, man. You're still. What, what are you doing to keep fit? Yeah, I, I am still training. Um, you mentioned before, I've got two young kids, so um, a fair bit of time spent with them, and and then spent working at the practice. And so I, I try and find some time for training, which is um, mostly when the kids are in bed. But I've got a little gym set up at home, uh, and I, I get in there a few times a week and and lift some weights. So. Still trying to keep strong. I'm not quite spending as much time as I was when I was really, really seriously powerlifting, but um, still pushing some okay numbers and, and hoping to make a little bit of a comeback to the platform. I've been, been absent from for a few years, but hoping to make a little bit of a comeback when I turn 40 and uh, and then can compete as a masters athlete. Um, okay. And also just trying to set a good example for the kids and get them involved in the gym space too. And it's nice seeing them see me in there and then start to gravitate towards developing interest themselves. And they're always asking me if they can hang off the chin up bar and, um, you know, do various other things that I'm, they, they see me doing in there too. Mm. What's the culture like in powerlifting? Is it's a, I'm taking it. It's a fairly small community. People know each other or is it, um, what's it like? Yeah, it, it's, it's a really diverse culture. Um, I, I've, Fell into powerlifting. Um, actually, it was it was one of my contacts at uni that that got me involved in it. Um, to take you back a step, I, I used to play a fair bit of footy, dislocated my shoulder a few times, and and, and end up subsequently having a um, a label repair, and got into the gym to try and help improve the strength of my shoulder and the outcomes there. To um, in order to get back to footy more successfully, and just got discovered that I really liked the gym and that I was okay at it, and um, and started getting a bit stronger. One of the guys I was studying with at uni, uh, Chris James, said, well, my, my brother's the under 90 kilo Australian champ. You know, maybe go and have a chat to him and, and see if you've, uh, you know, got some common interest. And I went and met up with um, with David, his brother, um, and he invited us down to a competition. And um, one thing led to another and I ended up coming to train with them at Melbourne Uni and um, and just absolutely loved it. And the sport um, yeah, just opened up some doors for me in terms of you know learning about a lot about strength training and um you know developing my body and and some things that i was interested in learning more about and um i spent a lot of time uh, through the club you know learning from the experienced athletes there and the coaches and um it was just a, an overall great experience and so to draw that back to the, the culture that was there you know my experience in powerlifting has has been uh you know a really positive one that's that's shaped my life in a number of different ways that I when I got into it didn't realize it was going to and I met lots of people that I'm still friends with um, today um, and 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 that range of the people is 
a really diverse range. You've got a lot of uni students because it was at the uni, um, but then competing around Australia and, and internationally, you make friends overseas, you make friends um, all around the country and people from all sorts of walks of life, even though the, the club was primarily at the uni and, and um, facilitated um, students joining the club, there was people that were you know, significantly older than that in their 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s um, that were members of the club. Um, and it was great and inspiring to see those those guys that were involved with the, the sport for a long time, how they how that had physically impacted their ability. Um, you know, there's a guy um, who was in his, in his 80s deadlifting 200 kilos. You know, okay. that's just phenomenal. You know, boggles the mind to think. Um, wow. You know, about that and 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 super impressive and, and inspiring that's um, a lifetime of never stopping right yeah, yeah you, you don't just start doing that but yeah that's yep. that's incredible and uh and then also you had you had guys that, that that picked up the sport in their 60s and and saw you know these fantastic gains as well and, and that's something that again shapes your clinical practice when you see people come into the clinic osteoarthritic knee or whatever and they, they talk about not being able to or being nervous about getting in the gym and you can talk about right. these stories seen as well and um and get them involved or show some show some some videos and it's uh, it's great from that perspective too um and then and then of course you know with with any sort of strength sports you you've got your people that are um you know a bit more that that classic meathead sort of sort of style and so it's 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 this really eclectic group of people but um by and large everyone who's there is trying to get better trying to get stronger um and and trying to help each other get stronger so it's it's something that i've really enjoyed being a part of so that started when you were in uni when did you hurt your shoulder? Correct. Yeah. When you so were studying I, to be in your undergraduate training. Yeah. Prior to that, so I had my reconstruction before I started studying physiotherapy, and um, I started dislocating my shoulder when I was sixteen. Um, my reconstruction was when I was nineteen, which was part of when I was studying biomedical science, and then um, I was involved in strength training even even prior to that. Uh, I'd always liked strength training. I saved up my pocket money, and when I was fourteen, I bought my first bench press. Um, what fifty six worth of weights and, and thought at the time that that was going to do me for good and yeah. uh, pretty quickly I grew that which was, was great and, and and then stayed involved in strength training to some degree always but um it was third year physio that I found powerlifting so that was around 2007 mm. so um and, and then from then my, my love for it grew and 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 my involvement in the sport so you really you've been doing as a patient and a physiotherapy student and then as a um as a coach and also a competitor you've been really doing this together for your whole career so that would that sort of answers my question which was you know what came first the physio or the powerlifting so the next question is then how do you use your powerlifting knowledge and all that training you've done and the coaching you've done with athletes in the everyday physiotherapy clinic in your clinic with people mm. which you, you touched on before so let's hear more about that so how do you actually how do the skills knowledge that you've got from that level of training how do they change what you do with patients they shape my practice dramatically mm. um i spend a lot of time in the clinic gym here um i'm very passionate about giving patients exercises and um, ways of improving their conditions that are sustainable and uh, and are going to give them good long-term outcomes we've got a, a large gym on site at the clinic uh, which is equipped with some weights that are heavy for even the powerlifters that are coming in so we can really seriously get some get people strong um but we you know we see a lot of the general public too um and so it's it's good it's, it's a really enjoyable part of the part of our practice getting in the gym because the other clinicians are often down there as well and one of the things about physio is you can often be quite solo you know you can be in your room with your patient one-on-one -on -one, um and it's a really enjoyable part of the day to get down in the gym and and see the other faces and and be involved together so that's that's one thing i really like about the practice um at, at, you know being in the gym uh having the knowledge as well from the powerlifting training that i've done and being in gyms for, for a long period of time i think also gives you a, a real um breadth of different exercises that you know about know how they feel know how your body's meant to feel and, and how it's going to respond so that you can give patients an insight about how they're likely to feel um, and when you get you know as physios we're working with the injured population so you're it's not like you've got a healthy individual that you're you can apply any exercise to um, you're often then trying to think of an example that, that's going to change the loading with respect to this or um, be a bit more gentle on that so it's, it's nice to have a larger list of exercises that you can draw upon to to find um, options when you know plan a is is uncomfortable or it's you know it's not appropriate for whatever reason 
with all your uh-huh. knowledge, you'd obviously do a lot of patient education and obviously all the, the normal diagnosis of exclusion and referral and, and um, triaging people in that way. But do you still do, well, give, give us an idea of the non-strengthening and the non-exercise interventions that you would do. You've obviously got a, a bias or maybe a better word is a, um, a skill in that area of, of strengthening. Of course, you'll use that with a lot of people where someone that didn't have your level of training may not be able to or may not do. What else do you do apart from strength and exercise with people? Um, yeah, we, in, in a similar way to probably what most clinicians uh, are doing, patients will come into our rooms. Um, we have a reasonably thorough subjective examination, um, which obviously sets up the the framework for what how you're going to proceed with your, your assessment. Um, every patient will then have some form of physical assessment relating to their complaint. And then from that, try and, provo- try and provide a provisional diagnosis for the problem. Um, and then the treatment plan from there is, is typically some combination of edu- education and advice. Um, and then it's likely that there's going to be some exercise component to that. So we're setting up a program for them probably in our gym space here. Um, and then they will conduct that in whatever environment's the most appropriate for them. So um whether that's at home, whether that's at their local gym, uh, and we offer some uh, supervised rehabilitation options for them here as well. Um, and then, of course, uh, if it's necessary, we'll, we'll combine that with some manual therapy um, op- options as well. So that, that's, I guess, a, a brief overview of what, what a patient would expect if they were coming to attend an appointment with us. I think it's good to, to look at that overview and ask you, yeah, that's, that's interesting. So now let's compare and contrast to your work in elite sports. You worked at Collingwood Football Club and, and you've coached athletes. So take a, an elite um, athlete who you're, um, you've got this big base of fitness already and experience and skill. So how did you use your skills to add value in that high intensity competitive environment? Must have been fun. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, it was a lot of fun, um, and it's 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 great to be in that environment um, because it is different to the clinic. Um, you know, you're you're not worried about how much time you've got to spend with the patient. You've you've got an infinite amount of time. Um, you've got an infinite amount of resources. It's it's quite a different environment, and there there are um, lots of benefits to that. But there are some different challenges that come in terms of you know, trying to find um, find time that doesn't exist to get someone back a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, my experience in powerlifting help, helps that no end because you're, you're dealing with guys that, again, pushing their bodies and you know from an individual perspective what, what that feels like and when you pull up sore from training and it's it's good sore, how long that's meant to last, what good pain is, what bad pain is, and you can have those conversations with more insight. Um, and that also shapes your, your clinical practice in the private practice environment too. Um, and you know how hard you know better how hard to push people um, and what's an appropriate amount of load uh, to, to try and apply. Um, and there are lots of lots of different um, barriers to getting the best performance out of people. And um, that, that, that experience from competing helps break down some of those barriers too. Mm. I'm thinking now about um, our students, because obviously I'm a first year physiotherapy yeah. coordinator and teacher at Monash University. And you've taught there as well, but you also uh, supervise our students as they come through your clinic. So uh, the whole theme of this podcast is giving people the, the best foundations, not just of their own health and fitness, but foundations in their clinical thinking and knowledge and skills so they can build on top of those and get the foundations right. And then the fancy stuff can sit on top of that later on in your career. So, um, what advice could you give our students in terms of, I'm thinking still about powerlifting and gym experience. Um, how do you compare a student who's never been in, never set foot in a gym um, and, and may never do the, do so to a student that takes a healthy interest and, and goes and does a sport or trains and, you know, already goes into the degree knowing their flexes from their extensors and knowing a few of the muscles and, you know, having a, having uh, already have a, some training in that area. Yep, it's it's, it's a really good question, and um, it's it's one uh, I'm quite passionate about answering actually. And we we employ eight physios here through our through our clinic, um, and most of those are Monash graduates. And um, having gone through Monash myself as a student, uh, I've got very positive things to say about the program there. And um, 
there are still uh, variabilities, obviously, in uh, students' knowledge and um, yeah, practitioners' knowledge based on personal life experiences. And uh, my experience in the gym um, has no doubt shaped the way that I uh, interact with my patients. And I, I think for me, it's been a hugely positive uh, thing and something that's made me feel very comfortable in that space. And if you look at, um, I've been a physio now since 2008, and if you look at the the, the way that the, the profession has changed, even, even quite significantly over that period of time, we, we understand more and more, and the research is mounting up more and more that um, to get patients good long-term outcomes, we've got to um, we've got to get them active. We've got to get them stronger. We've got to try and help them understand how to pace their activity, how to train appropriately, how to load manage, and uh, and these are all things that you you need experience in. And uh, the gym the gym space um, has provided me that opportunity to um, to more intricately understand that and. Um, and the staff that I work with that have a genuine interest in spending their time in the gym, which is which is most of our staff, um, it comes to them more naturally, and they they've got a, a broader knowledge than what you can learn through um, perhaps at uni through um, reading reading a textbook. And so, my my sound advice to anybody who's considering a career in physiotherapy is that you a lot of your intervention is going to be in the gym. A lot of your intervention is trying to get patients stronger, and whether that's whether you're working with 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds with osteoarthritis or false prevention, you're still trying to get those guys stronger, whether that's working with athletes. Um, the more breadth of knowledge that you've got in that gym space, the more rounded you're going to be as a clinician, the more plan B, plan C type options you're going to have in your toolkit when option A doesn't work as well. Um, and there are some some subtle bits of um, – there are some – foundation knowledge points that everybody needs to know as a physio, but there are some subtle and um, value-add points as well that you, you can't learn from a textbook that it's it's just so valuable to be in the gym. And I guess so you're coming back to your, your your question about what what's my advice. My advice to anybody who's studying physiotherapy is is walk the walk and and try and write yourself a program, get involved in the, in the gym, um, learn how your body works, learn how it moves, learn what it feels like to train hard, learn what it feels like to follow different programs, and um, then you'll be able to impart, impart that advice and that experience onto onto your patients, and that's going to help them. And in my experience, that's that's helped them more than anything else that that that's um, that I've come across in my training or career. Yeah, it's such an important bit of advice. You have to walk the walk. You have to actually be able to perform some of these exercises yourselves. Uh, so, what what if somebody is? Um, so if we if we think about across the spectrum of people you might see and, and also therapists as well. Not everyone's going to be able, not everyone will be able to lift heavy weights. You could still instruct and take an interest. I think you said you could still uh, at any level physical, even if you had a disability yourself, you can still um, take an interest in uh, those principles of training and be in that space and learn from people who are in there. Yeah. Definitely. Um, uh, um, yeah. Anyone can get strong. Um, you know, we're, we're we're all essentially made of the same stuff. You 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 know, you apply a stimulus and you progressively overload it over a period of time. You allow adequate recovery for the tissue to adapt to the stimulus. You're you know, you're you're going to get stronger. Um, there, there, there are different barriers, you know, based on um, disability and um, hormonal changes that occur with age that make it more challenging in some populations to develop strength. But it can still be done. Um, use the examples from the powerlifting club um, that I was talking about before about the gentleman in his in his 80s, you know, deadlifting over 200 kilos, um, or the guys that picked it up in their 60s and, and went from, you know, not being able to deadlift very much at all to um, there was a lady there who was in her late 60s who, um, you know, picked picked it up just 10 years earlier and and was deadlifting 130 kilos um, wow. in, in her 60s. Yeah, and mm. um, it, so it, it shows us that despite you know those those things that might be um, atypical in those in those populations. You can still develop really really significant strength. Um, and and pain for patients as a, uh, as working as a, in the physio space is often a barrier uh, mm. for patients who want to get involved in that. But if you can if you can break down that barrier and help them understand that their pain is actually going to be much better if they can work through. Um, work through their situation and become involved in some strength training, which might feel a little bit scary to them at the beginning, their long-term outcomes, their pain is going to be much better managed and their their buffer, that they, they develop this buffer between 
coping with the activities that they need to do day to day without getting stirred up. It's it's one of the most effective tools that we have to to help people in that situation. Mm. And people come in with pain quite often, but aside from pain, what are the other benefits of strength training for the body? So th- this is this is very foundational yeah, knowledge, isn't it? But let's let's recap it. What does what does a strength training session over time do for your bones and muscles and ligaments and your heart? And what are the benefits? Yeah, very 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 um, widespread um, benefit. You know, it, it's it's you're adapting to the stimulus so there's there's changes in what, what's happening to the bones there's changes in happening in what's happening with with the brain in terms of how you learn to do that movement more efficiently and then and of course there's changes with what's happening within the muscle itself and and then there's you know adaptations to make the the muscle tissue uh, larger to um, be able to you know withstand larger and, and heavier stimulus there as well so if you talk about that in the, in the context of physio you know we, we will all come across in our you know student placements um, guys in the hospital that, that have had falls or you know struggled to get out of a chair and um the strength for for people in that situation is it's absolutely critical to their day-to-day function you know it determines whether they get to go home it determines whether they um require a gate aid and if you can um you know get those people to improve their strength it's going to have such a dramatic impact on their on their well-being their life mm-hmm. and their choices as to as to where they live um you take take someone who can um you know take take doing a squat as an example you've got someone who is sufficiently weak whether it's from the musculoskeletal injury or 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 just um you know degeneration through through other things that they they find it challenging to get out of a chair um and you know relate that to to powerlifting performance where you're looking at the same movement pattern which is which is a squat from the chair or you know squat in uh, in a competition um you want to get that person that athlete's stronger at squatting you, you give them um, some weights to do you give them a, a program and and they do a session they rest some time they do another session they rest some time they do another session and gradually as those sessions are going on you're adding a little bit of load you know at the end of the end of the program they're taking their squat from 150 kilos to 180 they're they're thrilled that you know they've, they've put 30 kilos on their squat they perform better on the platform they've done better in the competition this um this patient that you've got finds it really tough to get out of the chair that's that's their one rm you know they can they can do one out of the chair and mm. then they're they're cooked it's fantastic that the patient can get out of the chair but it's um it's it's so hard for them that by the time they've done that they feel unsteady on their feet or they're struggling so you need to apply that stimulus you need to find ways of giving that patient that stimulus that allows them to develop a better one rm than getting out of the chair and um, if they can do that 15 times easily in day-to-day life when they have to get off the couch or get off the chair it's it's much easier for them they're not um fatigued when they've completed that task and it's much easier for them to then get mobility to get around the house or, or whatever it is and it's just finding uh, the similarities between those situations um the the movement pattern is the same the the physiology is, is similar and the goal is the same is to improve strength and the, the the details in the program are really you know based around where the individuals are at in terms of their um their ability that then shapes the the you know the details in, in the program but there's a lot of commonality between those situations that's a part of the conversation i hope everyone remembers because we're talking to someone who's an elite athlete yourself and has worked with elite athletes and you're talking a lot about strength training and then earlier you talked about the people who think well you know, i'm not sure that's for me and um i have trouble lifting five kilograms of, you know, not sure about lifting any more than that. And this fear and avoidance as well. And you mentioned pain and really you're just talking about what that person's RM rep max is. If it's getting out of a chair or if it's lifting many kilograms on a squat rack, it's, um, it's all individual, isn't it? Absolutely. We, mm. we, we, in powerlifting, we use a formula called the Epley formula um, that helps us work out from someone's one RM, what their five RM would be. You can use simultaneous equations to work it back the other way and you know, compare that with an 8RM or whatever it is. And so we use those formulas to help us create programs in that space. And I, I use exactly the same formula set up in Excel when I'm creating programs for patients in the sub-elite space as well. Mm. Which that leads me to ask you about measurement. So we've got dynamometry. We could use handheld dynamometry. You could obviously be in the gym and the rep max or the reps you can do. What should people who don't have access to a gym space, but who are encouraging people to do strengthening exercises of any level, what are your thoughts on some of the good ways we should be measuring strength? How, how can we be progressing beyond the manual muscle test in general? 
It's it's a really important thing. Um, we have a dynamometer at the clinic. We we use it regularly, and it's it's a really helpful adjunct to to our sessions here. Um, but it's really important to assess strength functionally too. Um, mm. And so, um, it, it, if you look at the principles of strength training, um, it, it, load is so critical to that. If you if you take someone's ability and you that they're capable of squatting 60 kilos for example and you give them a program that never takes them up to 60 kilos the program isn't officially developing efficiently developing their strength um Mm. you need to find a load that's going to challenge them that load needs to be progressively overloaded um so that there is development in that in that strength and so having an assessment of strength um, that's relatable to the task um, is is really critical. So if you want to improve someone's squat performance, assess their squat performance. Um, and using something like the Epley formula is really helpful where someone might have a barrier, or might, might not be practical to assess their 1RM, um, but you can use a 5RM to then predict what a 6 or a 1RM might be. Um, but have a look at the task that you're wanting to improve. That That's that's my advice. And there's lots of different creative ways that you can do this in, in a clinic setting that doesn't have a gym or in, in a patient's home. Um, you've just got to pick some activities that are relevant for that person. And so a lot of the time in physiotherapy, we're dealing with a unilateral injury. So you want a unilateral strength assessment. And that could be something like um, a step up, it, you know, trying to find out what height that patient then has biomechanical breakdown or has an inability to perform the task. It might be a single leg sit to stand. Um, one of the you know really rudimentary tests that we can do here is we've got some boxes at different heights um, and get someone to perform a single leg squat, right leg, left leg off certain height. And there'll be a critical height where they can't perform that task on one side, but can on the other. Um, and that's a really meaningful, meaningful thing to the patient to be able to see, gee, I know you said to me that it looks like my muscles on this side aren't quite as good, but they can then really see, gee, this is affecting my performance. And often that's a really helpful motivator for them to tip into your rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there are lots of other little tests like that that you can do too, or, you know, similar tests in a different way, you know, give them 30 seconds, ask them to do as many as they can on one side versus on the other side from, from a, a standardized height, whether it's a bench or, a, you know, a lower box. Um, and they perform 12 on one side and eight on the other side. And they see that after they get to eight and that side, they just can't keep reproducing. That can be a, a really valuable way of assessing it as well. Mm. So really the principle there to summarize that, it, the, if you're measuring strength with someone, even if you have limited equipment, it really has to be meaningful and um, relevant to that person. And for those, so those functional measurements of strength um, have a lot of relevance. It doesn't have to be something that's, you do um, 20 years of powerlifting, powerlifting training plus your extra qualifications and work at Collingwood Football Club and uh, have a, own a practice with a gym in it. You That's just right. talked about a protocol that had a couple of boxes. Exactly right. You, you've, you've got at, yeah, you've got to look at your setting uh, and, and work out what, what can I do in this space and it, it doesn't, doesn't really matter what space you've got access to. In, in every consultation room, you're going to have – a plinth and a chair. Um, certainly, in terms of doing lower lower limb assessments, there's there's a couple of examples we just talked through that work in that space there. And um, you know, if you're looking at hips or core strength or whatever it is, there's you know almost anything in that setting that you can do body weight. And if your patient's coming in with a complaint relating to something that they're you know that they're struggling to do with their day to day function, it'd be good to try and pick something that replicates that movement or is is you know relatively similar. All right, time for the the question that I ask everyone. You ready? What are the most important foundational knowledge and skills for a physiotherapist? Uh, clearly, we've been talking a lot about <laughs> training, so um, it's, yeah. it's probably reasonably easy for me to segue into that. I, I think I think having a found foundation knowledge of strength training, um, gym exercises, and how your body moves and, and responds to those stimuluses is absolutely critical. And for me, that's as I said earlier, that's shaped my practice. Um, very, very significantly. The other one, uh, you talked about my experience in uh, teaching anatomy and, and through my studies at Monash. Um, again, for me, that's an absolute foundation um, foundation point for, for any physiotherapist. And if you don't know what's there well enough, um, you're not going to consider it uh, as part of your assessment or as part of your potential diagnosis. Um, and that makes it much more challenging when you're looking at things that don't necessarily follow a typical pattern uh, or, or aren't part of a, a common injury um, profile. Uh, and so having a, a good foundation knowledge of, of anatomy 
that's absolutely critical for any physiotherapist. Mm, the straw man argument for anatomy is, well, if the person's functioning in this way anyway, does it matter about all the details and what's happening beneath there? But if we then strongman the argument again and come back to it, that sounds apt because we're talking about strength training, everything will strongman the argument again. Um, why is it so important to really know what's happening, the, the detail, the specific details? Now, we, we teach anatomy at Monash and, and other programs do as well. In physiotherapy programs are known for really detailed, really specific um, anatomy training where you really understand the finer details of each area. And we spend a lot of time in each area and then uh, integrating that into case-based learning and um, physio theory and everything else in that area. So the students are really proficient for the knee, for example, spending a whole couple of weeks on that area. Why is it so important to, and to know that anatomy? And I guess a double barrel question, how do you continue to learn anatomy? How did you continue, apart from teaching it, how did you continue to keep up the speed with it? So, and really important questions, I think, for your, anyone in physiotherapy, but particularly your, your longer, younger listeners out there. Um, so why is it important? It, it's important because that's what's there. You know, it's, it's at times I can, see, I can see the counter argument to um, something like low back pain where your intervention might not vary that dramatically on what your pathoanatomical diagnosis is of the condition. Uh, because the principles for treatment might be relatively similar. You're looking at more the subjective history of what that patient is reporting their, their, their AGs to be, um, how irritable their condition is, um, and you're trying to break down these barriers and, and help them understand how to do those activities better or with a more appropriate load. Um, and you know, your, your intervention is based more around those principles. Um, but there are certainly instances um, that are different to that where we managing conditions where it's really critical to have a pathoanatomical diagnosis and the tissues behave differently um, to, to one another. I guess the, a really obvious example that jumps to mind is, you, you know, you, you take a, a calf injury versus an Achilles injury and um, the, the, the way that those two tissues function differently um, and the implications for the rehab is hugely significant. Um, mm. So, you know, you want to do something that's hard for a calf muscle, you know, do, do 10 heavy calf raises. And by the end of that, you'll say, oh, my, my calf is, you know, it's really worked. That, that, was, that was really tough. But for an Achilles tendon, it's, you know, it's, it's a relatively short change in length. It's not a rapid movement because we've just said it's heavy. Um, the Achilles tendon is probably not going to find that activity all that hard. Flip it around, you ask the, you ask the patient then to do one really explosive hop. That's not that hard for the calf muscle. It's it's just done one hop. Um, it's it's not going to you know cause a significant amount of fatigue. But the Achilles tendon is going to find that particularly hard because it's it's a rapid change in length, um, and and so it's it's a much more challenging activity for that Achilles to do. And so that's I guess the the first example that just jumped to my head mm. in terms of how the anatomy um, will really guide the rehabilitation and and the return to sport programming for an individual with you know, a calf pathology versus an Achilles pathology. Yeah. And then the challenge is to, if you have a really extensive training in anatomy in your undergraduate course or a postgraduate entry to practice physio course, and then the years pass by as they do reliably, how do you maintain your anatomical knowledge? And I guess these days, at least we're really lucky because there are lots of amazing resources online. There's a lot of free anatomy content you can just access. You can find that. Mm. Um, postgrad courses, of course, teaching is an amazing way to improve your confidence in your knowledge you have to prepare i remember doing about eight hours in 2010 when you and i st you started 2010 as well i reckon i started doing some stuff 2009 okay maybe. so you yeah 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 so you were there that's right and i was new that year but we were both there just talking yep. about how many hours we'd spent as tutors in our own time unpaid just yep. swatting up and preparing and learning our anatomy now we're on the nerdy end of the scale to the cool people up here and the nerds down here right which is a compliment to us. So we're, we're doing that, right? Um, that's, that's some significant motivation because you're about to go and take a group of 15 <laughs> students there and you, you're being their, their leader, their facilitator. Absolutely. I guess there's, a, there's degrees of this. You could, you could spend an hour a week on it as well. Um, but what about with your, your um, employees and your colleagues in the clinic? Um, any way you integrate anatomy into your training, your PD in the clinic? Yeah. Yeah, def definitely. I, I think it is something that you've got to find a way of in including it in your week. Um, mm. uh, you know, certainly it's it's really easy if you don't touch the detail to 
for that to grey out in your memory. Right. Um, and I, I completely agree. Nothing improved my anatomy knowledge like having to teach it to a bunch of students. You know, you, you need to know it back to front when you when you're doing that. Um, and I, same as you, I used to prepare significant hours per week all those for those classes. Um, you, you want to ensure you're doing a good job, but it, you know you, you certainly um, feel nervous about going into a situation like that and not not knowing the content. Um, so uh, nowadays, um, I, I'd, I'd love to lie and say you know, I stay up late at night reading the textbook for bed and that sort of thing, but it's, you know, it's it's probably not the the, the first thing on my mind. Um, Every every day when I'm you know looking at what I'm what I'm going to spend my time doing, so you, you've got to find other ways of of getting it into your week and getting it into your day, so that you are touching on the detail and it's, it stays sharp in your focus. So, um, in in the in the setting that I'm in now, we we run a PD program where I catch up with our more junior um, physiotherapists one on one every week, and we also do a group. Um, a group PD with the junior team every week, and then with the more senior team, um, we we do that at least once a month um, as a group. And then, as well as that, we're catching up one on one. So I've got, as the um, practice principal, I've, I've got lots of those catch ups that I'm going to, and and every every one of the staff is coming to some of that as well. And so, as part of those discussions, we're you know regularly involving anatomy in the discussion. Um, we've mm. got. Uh, with the junior program, we've we've got a series that we're working through at the moment, which is about six to eight weeks of uh, of going through some some knee related material. Um, and as part of that material, we'll, we'll always do a review of the anatomy first. Um, our last section that we went through was shoulder, um, and we um, we you know did very similar sort of thing there where we talked through the, the anatomy and the the you know the, the functional uh, anatomy of the of the joints there as well, and and then mm. talk about the um, yeah, you know, often the, the common common cases, and then work through the different assessments and implications for treatment based on different diagnoses, and and that's kind of the, the model that we tend to use with the with the junior program. The um this the senior program tends to be a little bit more case based, but we, we're still always tying it back to the the principles of anatomy, and that that's how I keep it in my in my practice now. And and also like um, spending my time educating patients about what's there. I, I think they often appreciate. Um, that information, and whilst you're still giving it to them in in lay terms, if you're explaining to them what some imaging looks like or what their condition is, it's an opportunity for you again to, to draw upon that detail, and, and it helps to keep it fresh. I hadn't thought about that in terms of your when you're providing patient education and to um, mentoring younger clinicians as well. All of that is brushing up on your anatomy, and um, you know, many hands make light work. You're there with a group, and you're doing some functional, um, well, some clinical anatomy background before you then present on the shoulder or the knee in the session. So, yeah, having a good mentor, having a good clinic, working with like-minded people and people who are bringing that um, opportunity to professional development into the clinic, like Chris, if you worked in Chris's clinic, you'd have that opportunity. That's something Brian Kim and and Jake Waller and I have spoken to Monash grads um, on this podcast about the importance of finding a place if you want to push yourself along as a clinician. You've got to find someone like you, Chris, to work with, who's going to put those opportunities in front of you. It's not a matter of just sitting there reading the textbook at midnight after you've seen 12 clients that day. And then, oh, I better catch up on my anatomy. It, it should be just integrated into what you're doing, right? That's exactly it. And that's, you know, for me, certainly it's not how the knowledge goes in. You know, you, you can read it once and, and and pick up a couple of things, but the, the you know, again, unless you go back and read it regularly or touch on it regularly, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna stay in there. And I think the other the other point that I reckon is important for the the um the junior physios listening as well is that I think everyone expects that you're you've you've learned it once, you've touched on it at uni, and then that knowledge is just there, and you should have yeah. it forever and ever and ever it doesn't work like that we all know mm. that it doesn't work like that and so if you if you grow in an area that's okay but but speak up about it don't feel um intimidated by that just um work on it and and, and bring that up as a point with with your mentors as well and tell them that that's part of what you want to continue to have in in the professional education at as you said at your clinical setting and um, i think that's something that everyone would welcome and benefit from mm. I mean, I'm not sure if it's before we press record or not, or whether it's um, or afterwards. I don't know if I've said this or not, but I mentioned part two 
of our conversation was going to be about clinical anatomy. And then we went ahead and had a really good conversation about it then. I think <laughs> for today, I think we're going to leave it there for in terms of the content because you're a busy man. You've got to get back to your, your work. Um, let's wrap this one up. But I would, would really like to chat to you again. Good excuse to catch up and, and it'd be really good to dive deeper into these topics. I did have one more question. It was back to strength, actually. Yeah. We've, we've talked about the importance of being immersed in doing exercise yourself in any capacity and how much benefit that gives you in terms of prescribing exercise, for example. What, what if you wanted, if you were a, a new grad or a physio student or a clinician of any level, and you wanted to upskill in the specifics of strength training. You, you mentioned some of the specifics there in this episode. What are some training courses or where would you direct people to, to upskill in those first few years? Mm. That's a good question. Um, there, most, of, most of my knowledge came through just being involved in the environment and working with training with other people that had been involved in the environment for a long time. Um, and so there was a lot of knowledge that just came through that, that application. Uh, in, the, in the earlier days, there was some, some books and bits and pieces that I read that sort of gave me that little bit of a foundation knowledge. And I think you can get that foundation knowledge about the principles of strength training and ex- different programs and different exercises that are good from, from some of that material. And I think it's what I'm also trying to uh, address is that I think it's really important that you try and get into some sort of environment where you can uh, learn organically through the experience of others that have spent some time developing their knowledge in that space as well. Mm. And then separate to that, there are some courses that um, are run through the APA and, and through other organisations um, like Fitness Australia, which is obviously the you know the personal trainers kind of equivalent, um, where you can do some knowledge about strength training as well. Um, I taught on a uh, powerlifting coaching course, which is which is run through Powerlifting Australia um, for for a while, so several years ago, and um, that you know that is a, probably a, a good um, foundation knowledge about strength training um, and and programming um, as well. Um, and and there are some other physiotherapists that run uh, through the APA some some strength conditioning courses as well. Yeah, um, I, and for overseas listeners, that's the Australian Physiotherapy Association. You might look at your own professional association, or or take that idea from Chris and look more broadly than just uh, Instagram. There's <laughs> a few ideas there from Chris. Absolutely, yeah. Look, there was there was one that I did early in my career, uh, which was run by Wayne Rogers, um, and uh, you know, again, it was it's different to powerlifting. It's you know, it's a really functional look. Um, at, at strength training and it's it's really good just to hear different perspectives on on strength training and um it, that was that was a course even though i had a wealth of knowledge in powerlifting at that stage and uh i had been competing for a few years by myself and uh, it's, it's always good to have a look at someone else's perspective on programming and and apply principles see how they apply principles in a different way but if you're listening to this right now you're about to go back into the clinic or or go back to the clinic on monday for example and you want to take some, have some take home messages from this. And you mentioned earlier, just the importance of if you're going to measure strength or prescribe an exercise, that does need to be meaningful to that person. And it doesn't always have to be a powerlifting champion coming in, trying to get an extra 5% on the plates, right? This is person, the example you gave of a person who can't get out of a chair or has a balance deficit. So we always need to relate to all, all types of people could benefit from these principles you're talking about. Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Um, mm. I, I don't think, um, yeah, different people have different ideas about how they want their body to look and all of this sort of different different things. And so you can, you know, you can um, not like the look of being more muscular or whatever, but you ask anyone if they'd like to be stronger, um, you know, if they benefit from being stronger, it's it's definitely something that is going to, you know, it's going to benefit nearly every human being. People worry about putting muscle on and body image, isn't it? quite challenging to put muscle on for a lot of people it's not that Absolutely. Right. and uh, and look, that, that is still something that i see as a barrier in, in the in the consultation room here as well you know people um you know stereo, stereotyping a little bit but particularly uh, female patients will, will have concern about starting a strength program uh, even though it's designed at trying to help um improve their injury you know, injury health or that you know relating to the injury that they've specifically presented for um there, there can be some reluctance around starting a program because of not wanting to look too bulky um and absolutely you're correct in what you're saying I mean, I've, 
I've been in the gym for a heck of a long time and it's, it's, it's hard to, to, to pack on muscle, you know. You, you shape your diet, you shape your sleep, you shape your training around all this sort of stuff and you commit yourself to doing it over a period of years and years and years and it still happens really slowly. So wow. um, yeah, just you're not going to go there to rehab an injury and um, do a right. few deadlifts and squats and suddenly get... Uh, like yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's quite weird. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I, I, again, it, it just comes back down to appropriate education for that that patient and it's uh, it's... It's just a lack of education and knowledge on their part that they don't know because they haven't been in that space before what what adaptations they can expect and what that's likely to look like and you just need to continue to provide the right education around this is a lot what you're likely to expect and and uh, this is how it's going to benefit you mm. and this, these are the likely changes that you're going to see in your in your physical appearance as well mm. we can talk about forever about all the, all the education that should be added to to university courses and what should be taught. And we've had previous episodes on that, but um, as you've said, the most of the learning you do happens in the field, on the job and in your life and your own experience. So you've given everyone a number of really interesting ideas about strength training, um, I guess, courses and mentors and, and different ways they could in, in, implement that into their practice. Anything else you wanted to add, Chris, before we wrap this thing up? I think I think we've covered most of it, but um, I guess circling back to the the key thing for me is that if if you're setting yourself up now for a career in physiotherapy and you you haven't spent much time in the gym, find find your local gym, find find some people that um, that you can become involved with to learn from their experience, and um, it will be one of the most meaningful things that you do to try and help improve your. Uh, enjoyment from your career and the effectiveness in your career, um, feeling confident in that space is, is so, so crucial. There you go, everyone. Some solid advice there from Chris and you heard it from him, not just from me. So really good. So hopefully this adds to the um, the body of mentoring advice we've been building up here in the podcast, but really, really grateful for your time, Chris. So where can people connect with you online and find out more about you and yeah, sure. Google search, yeah, yeah. <laughs> social yeah. media. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We look through the clinic. We've we've got our own uh, social media on Instagram and Facebook, um, and my information is available on our, our clinic website as well, which is uh, healthybodiesphysiotherapy.com.au. So, um, if if you're interested to know a bit more about me, um, or uh, you, you know, you've got some some questions about strength training uh, as a as a new physio um, coming through, um, I'm more than happy for people to reach out and and um, and 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 start some dialogue around that as well. Yeah, brilliant. So I'll put the Healthy Bodies Physio website and the social media tags and everything in the show notes. So if you want to track Chris down and have a look at some of the work he's doing there in the clinic and you can see what he looks like if you look at the YouTube version of this, a bit of delay of uploading those. I'm focusing on the podcast here, but eventually that will make its way to the Periton Physio YouTube channel. So search Periton Physio in YouTube and there's only one of them and that will appear. And you can also find um, Susanna and I at Periton Physio on various social media, um, mostly on Facebook and Instagram. And um, you can find me on Twitter at Luke Periton and make sure you do all the things we want you to do, like, share, subscribe. The reason for that is uh, if you found it interesting, I'm sure someone else will as well. Uh, and podcasts just tend to sit there unless you, they, they're shared by word of mouth. So if you can share this with some students or colleagues or friends or anyone and um, tag us in that that's the way you can pay us for our efforts here and making this valuable content for you i found it valuable i hope you did too so chris thanks very much for a great conversation and let's do it again soon thanks for having us on luke and uh, mate great to catch up and uh let's let's not leave it so long next time yeah that for sure that was really good so until next time this is chris and luke wishing you all the very best with your studying professional development and lifelong learning 